Hello and welcome to the first show of uh, 2022. It's show number 382 of Holy Crap It's Sports. I'm Pete Davis, your host. Uh, got a new sound coming up soon, uh, hopefully sometime this week for Christmas. My nephews gave me a, a little screen to put up around the uh, microphone here. It's supposed to change the sound and make it sound rich and sonorous and everything my voice isn't. And uh, my problem is you'll probably not be able to hear the uh, ambulances anymore, but... <clears throat> It's a trade-off. Anyway, I hope you had a great New Year's and everything. Uh, welcome to the 10th day of Christmas. That's right. We're on the 10th day of the 12 days of Christmas, so keep partying. And uh, as usual, overnight, we had the usual Atlanta snowstorm. Yeah, for a week, they tell you the snow's coming, and Birmingham gets snowed in, and Nashville gets snowed in, a pretty layer of snow a few inches, and uh, you don't have to go back to work on your first day of going back to work after the holidays. Your kids get to one more day of staying home and playing in the snow and not having to go to school, you know, when the teachers you know, finally show up to class. But anyway, everybody else in the South gets a nice snow day. In Atlanta, it just, you know, flurried, 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 blue, 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 and then it dried up and left. <clears throat> so if you're a kid like me who grew up in Atlanta expecting it to snow so you could stay home from school, you know exactly what's going to happen. Nine times out of ten, the weather guy will be wrong. And that's just the way it is. And they will explain to you, well, because of the foothills of the Appalachians going to the uh, southwest of here, that's, it's very hard to predict Atlanta. I have never lived in a place... Oh, sorry. I've never lived in a place outside of San Diego that it wasn't extremely difficult to predict the weather here. So anyway, that uh, phone was going off. It was an ESPN notification about the Falcons. A Falcons coach is leaving the roost. We will get to that in just a little bit. What else we got going? Uh, if you want to uh, be a patron of the arts, you can always go to patreon.com and look up Holy Crap at Sports if you'd like to uh, keep the show going. Or you can do a thing called Zelle now. Have you heard of this? Z-E-L-L-E. It's a very easy way. If you like to send money to the show, uh, donate or something like that, uh, just uh, hit me at PeteDavis1 at yahoo.com and I'll give you the little code to do it. It's very quick and easy. I was shocked and appalled that I could set it up so quickly. And let's see if you want to follow me on Twitter, Pete Davis One. Okay, enough of that. Happy New Year, and let's get on with it. I've already broken one of my resolutions. I said January 1st, I'm going to write down every single thing that I eat this year. And at the end of the year, I'm going to tabulate all the pizzas I ate, all the milkshakes I drank, all you know, every single piece of food I eat during the year. That lasted two days. Uh, I was tired of doing it after the second day. Anyway, headlines for the first show of 2022, which is uh, Monday, January 3rd. Dan Reeves, a true Southern gentleman, passes away, and I'll have some personal memories. Falcon season passes away in a whimper in the snow. There are still people in the Matt Ryan cult who can't let go, and a Falcons coach has already jumped ship. Antonio Brown nuts up again, and hopefully for the last time, before he's given the mental help he so obviously needs. Dick's Sporting Goods is run by an all-female board. Uh, if you watched any TV over the uh, Christmas and New Year's holidays, you heard that commercial a thousand times. Uh, aren't we so proud? It's all women running Dick's Sporting Goods. I bet you didn't know that, they say. Uh, yeah, we knew exactly uh, that was happening, and I'll tell you why. Uh, when it's Joe Tessitore versus Dan Walken, well... All of the rest of the world wins. Uh, Clemson has lost a coach as well, another coach. We began with the passing of a great man and a great coach and player. Dan Reeves was 77 years old when he died on New Year's Day. Reeves, who appeared in nine Super Bowls as a player, assistant coach, and head coach, died at his home here in Atlanta on Saturday. 
<clears throat> really got the year off to a bad start. Reeves is one of only 10 coaches to have won at least 190 regular season games in his career, and he guided two teams, the Broncos and Falcons, to a Super Bowl, the Falcons' first one, and was the head coach of the Giants for four seasons. With a 201, 174-2 and NFL coaching record overall, including postseason, he's one of only nine coaches in NFL history with 200 total wins. His Super Bowl appearances as an individual have been topped only by quarterback Tom Brady and Patriots coach Bill Belichick, and he's still not in the Hall of Fame. An absolute shame. He also won Coach of the Year honors with the Falcons and Giants and was one of the six coaches to win the award with multiple franchises. In fact, here's the all-time wins uh, list here. Don Shula, 347. George Hallis, Bill Belichick at 320. Tom Landry, uh, Reeves' mentor, at 270. Then Andy Reid at 249. Curly Lambeau, Chuck Knoll, Marty Schottenheimer, and then Dan Reeves at 201. He's just four uh, behind Marty Schottenheimer. He spent 39 years in the league from his rookie year of 65 as a player with the Cowboys. An eight-year career as a player. The longest completion in the fabled ice ball. He threw a 50-yard touchdown. I'm not going to say two. he threw it to because that guy turned out to be kind of a creep. Uh, it was a halfback pass. He played in two Super Bowls, including the boys' win in Super Bowl VI. He was then an assistant coach in three Super Bowls, head coach in four of them, three of those with Denver. Reeves won 10 or more games nine times as a head coach, won 12 or more games three times, and was the league's coach of the year in 93 with the Broncos and 98 with the Falcons. His teams won six division titles. He was an 11-9 and nine in playoff games as a head coach, despite four losses in the Super Bowls. Hall of Fame Cowboys coach Tom Landry once called Reeves the most competitive man I know. Reeves was inducted into the Broncos Ring of Fame in 2014. After a successful four-year stint as the boys' offensive coordinator, Dallas finished first or second in the league in scoring three of those years. Reeves was hired by then-Broncos owner Edgar Kaiser in 1981. Reeves, with Hall of Famer John Elway at quarterback beginning in 1983, led Denver to five division titles and three Super Bowls. In Reeves' Broncos tenure, the team had a losing record just twice, one of those being the strike-shortened 82 season. He was fired by Pat Boland, the new owner, and had clashed at times with Elway late in his tenure with the team. Reeves had hired and uh, Reeves had fired Mike Shanahan, the offensive coordinator at the time, after the 91 season, and Boland fired Reeves after the 92 season. Shanahan's Broncos defeated Reeves' Falcons in Super Bowl 33 to close out the 98 season. Uh, so many memories are going down for that one. It was amazing. But Reeves' entry into the organization's ring of fame when Elway was the team's general manager and president of football operations was a significant step in mending the long feud. At the time, Reeves said he was thrilled to death I'll be sharing something that Elway and Reeves would be in together. The football world has lost a heck of a coach and man today in Dan Reeves, Elway tweeted. Dan was a winner, and I owe a lot to him. My heart goes out to Pam and the entire Reeves family. After his time in Denver, Reeves led the Giants for four seasons, including an 11-5 finish in 1993. This, now, a lot of this I'm getting from ESPN, a lot of stuff I know, a lot of stuff ESPN. They talk a lot about Denver. They talk about basically he had one good year with the Giants in New York, and they barely mention the Falcons. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's just the way they do it at ESPN. But anyway, let me add to this. He had seven seasons in Atlanta, taking the team to the first Super Bowl in 99. Uh, it was not for the untimely and stupid arrest of the team leader, Eugene Robinson, for trying to solicit sex from an undercover Miami policewoman. And the distraction that caused the team on the eve of the big game, Reeves may have won his coveted Super Bowl against his former team and quarterback. They came out uh, a fire. The Falcons uh, basically were taking it to the Broncos at first. 
Reeves is fired after week 14 of the 2003 season. We've discussed about that in the past. I'm going to take a sip here. We were all down in New Orleans, <clears throat> and Arthur Blank uh, announced he had bought the team. And we knew the way he was treating Reeves at the time. And I think Reeves even knew it was just a matter of time. But because uh, Blank wanted his own man in there, and that man turned out to be Jim Mora. Yeah, that was a step up. Good job, Arthur. Anyway, uh, Reeves was fired after week 14, as I mentioned. That. The man who fired him, Blank, uh, also extended his condolences to the family. He said, Dan Reeves leaves a lasting legacy in our game as a player and coach. His track record of success in Dallas, Denver, New York, and Atlanta over several decades speaks for itself, marking along his successful life and career in football. On behalf of the Atlanta Falcons, I extend our condolences to Dan's family and friends as they mourn his passing. Meanwhile, Matt Ryan shared some of his memories. Sad to hear about the passing of Dan Reeves, amazing career in pro football. So glad to have gotten to know him here in Atlanta and so grateful for how nice he was always to my boys when we would see him on Saturday mornings getting bagels. Rest in peace. When Reeves was replaced by the Falcons, only Don Shula, George Hallis, Landry, Lambeau, and Noel had won more games as a head coach. Now, my five years as sideline guy was mostly during Dan Reeves' term. What a lucky guy I was to, to have that happen. I wrote a piece on Facebook this weekend, and thanks to everybody who basically wrote that they enjoyed the piece and it brought back memories for them. I really appreciate it. By the way, my, the piece I wrote on Dan Reeves, and I'm not going to read it to you here. I'm not going to go into it because I go into it uh, on the Facebook. So go on my Facebook page and, and read it. Um, basically... <sighs> It, is the, it has garnered more attention and more <clears throat> likes and responses to anything I have ever posted on Facebook in all the years. I've been on there for what, off and on for 20 years. This is the most responses I've ever gotten for anything I've ever posted. Uh, and that's, that's just the power. That's not me. That's Dan Reeves and what he meant to so many people, not just here in Atlanta, but around the country and around the world for a lot of people that have, you know, expatriates living around the world that remember him playing for the Cowboys and, and coaching uh, the Broncos and Falcons and Giants and everything. So <clears throat> I may get into, in future shows, little remembrances of certain things that went on. Uh, basically, I'll, I, okay, I'll tell one story, uh, the humorous one. And there were, there were several, but the one where uh, I knew he was from Americus, Georgia. And a lot of people from down there were responding on the, for the Facebook thing about what a hero he was to kids from Americus and um, to, to make it as big as he did. And a girlfriend of mine gave me, from remember Distant Replay, the old, it was a Buckhead store, and there was one in a mall. I don't think it's around anymore, but you can go on the Internet and do the same thing with it, where they find these old T-shirts and jerseys and stuff from Atlanta Flames and old Packers stuff. And, and, and she used to every year get me a different uh, shirt. And I had a T-shirt that said, America's Paul Bearers 1906. And it was a minor league team down there in the early 1900s. And there was a cartoon of two guys, one in a coffin and the other carrying the coffin like a pallbearer. So I knew he was from America. So it was a hot July day out in, I forget if it was Swanee or Flyery Branch. But I knew it was going to be 100 degrees, and I wasn't going to stand out there in a long sleeve shirt. So I put the T-shirt on it and went out there. And after the practice, Dan would come over, and, and the media scrum would surround him, and we'd all ask him questions. And the whole time, there's only like four of us, four or five of us standing there. And the whole time, he's staring at my T-shirt while he's talking. And finally, at the end of the, the little scrum, he goes, where did you get that? <laughs> And he said, America's pallbearers, where did you get that? And I looked down and I said, 
uh, do you remember them? Thinking that the team had been there maybe during his youth. And he goes, 1906, how old do you think I am? <laughs> and we uh, talked a little bit about the fact he didn't remember because they probably had left long before he had gotten there. And he certainly got there long after 1906. But it was just one of many humorous moments at Dan Reeves. He could be a very serious guy. And a very prideful guy. He was he was very hardworking and serious when it came to his work. But he also, you could tell he had a sense of humor. As someone pointed out, responding on Facebook, what an amazing, perfect Southern gentleman accent he had, too. It was the accent that made you, it was like Matlock. Or, or you know, the, the guy in that movie that I refused to see uh, with Gregory Peck. It was a type of Southern accent that when you hear it, you immediately turn and think, I need to listen to this guy, Shelby Foote type of accent, one of those things, because it's an accent that you know there's some knowledge behind it. And it was just, I think Dan Reeves was a great man, and uh, that was kind of a shock. Uh, somebody, I'm not going to get into uh, why he passed. Well, the, the details will be coming out, and if they haven't already, I didn't delve deep. I heard one reason for it, and I just don't want to talk about it. It's just, it's, <clears throat> it's not a bad you know, controversial thing. It's just a thing that's sad that happens to a lot of people when they get older. And uh, that's, I don't know if that's for a fact what happened, but if it did, that was, that's sad. And I just want to remember, you know, the good times because the five years I covered them as a silent reporter and all the years before and after I covered them as just a reporter or talk show host or something like that. And before the years I was a fan, <clears throat> he was, I remember when he was with the Broncos, I remember for years thinking, why can't the Falcons get a coach like Dan Reeves? He was young. He had a great offense and that great quarterback. And it was just an, the Broncos were an exciting team. Yeah, they got blown out in Super Bowls, but the Falcons didn't go to Super Bowls. So I was for years wondering why the Falcons couldn't get somebody like Dan Reeves. And then we always ended up with the Marion Campbells, a nice guy, but not a head coach. Great defensive coach, but not a head coach. We always ended up with guys like him. And then we had Lehman Bennett, and that was pretty cool. Almost got to a Super Bowl. But <clears throat> Dan Reeves, and by the way, uh, Coach Bennett's still with us, too, and he's a treasure. It still lives here in Atlanta. So um, for a long time, was with the Greater Atlanta Christian School. I don't know if he's still there or not, but has done a lot for Atlanta and everything. So if, if you see Coach Bennett around town, say hi to him <clears throat> as well. Excuse me. So anyway, the Falcons, uh, let's get to the modern-day Falcons. They led in snowy Buffalo 15-14 to at the half. But they only got 15 points out of three interceptions of Bills quarterback Josh Allen, who led his team to a 29-15 comeback victory and end any hopes of an Atlanta playoff appearance. As usual, Matt Ryan was good but not great. And as usual, he led the team to field goals, not touchdowns for the most part. Kyle Pitts hurt his Julio, I mean hamstring, and missed some time. And here we are again. And every year we hear the same thing by certain Falcons fans. But, well, they gave a great effort. And, you know, they tried and they won a few more games. And they, they won more games. I thought they won four. They won seven. Have a chance for eight in the last week. I hope they don't. Because last week they were ninth in the draft pick position. Now they're out of the top ten. Because other teams losing like Washington, blah, blah, blah. So now we're not even going to get a really high draft pick. And, um, and we didn't make the playoffs which is my prediction at the beginning of the year, we did not. That was the worst-case scenario, and it's happened, and it's happened again, and it's happened. And I'm so tired of hearing this, the sycophant saying, well, it's not Matt Ryan's fault, and look at the people around him. And that's a good point. He's got a sorry-ass uh, team around him at the moment for the most part. But he's old, and he's over the hill. 
he can still has flashes, and he's still a competent quarterback. But he's let's just face it. Let's look at he has been a very good quarterback for his entire career. He's touched greatness a couple times. He has never been a great quarterback. He will not be. He might be a Hall of Fame because of the the longevity statistics he's putting in there. And like I said, he has touched greatness a couple times, but he's not a great quarterback. I'm sorry, I can't put him in that mode. He's had too many failures in big moments. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't put him in that mode. And and he's the nicest guy you will ever meet. He does a lot for the community. He's a wonderful person, a wonderful father and family man and all that. From well, Everybody who knows him says that. I, you know, briefly was around him at the beginning of his tenure. But it seems to me the same type of cult that came up around Michael Vick long after Vick was gone, that there were still the sycophants hanging around saying, I wish we had Michael back. Uh, we're still, we've got almost the same thing now with Matt Ryan. The gosh, uh, Matt Ryan is, is you know totally underappreciated, and uh, so Matt Ryan should have been traded last year. And uh, someone asked me, uh, "Will we have him next year?" Well, unless you want a huge salary cap hit, yeah, he's going to be back next year. The the best case scenario at this point is to get somebody in here as a backup quarterback to be your future quarterback and to learn for a year behind Matt because next year is going to be a lost year too. That's Sorry, but that's just the way it's going to be. And I'm so tired of hearing the excuses. And I've got a name for it. It's Falcons Beatdown Syndrome. People who have grown up and spent decades as Falcons fans have been beaten down to the point where they think a seven-win season where you don't make the playoffs and you screw your draft pick status is acceptable. That, yeah, I mean, this, it just seems to be that's what we do and we should just accept it and we should learn to pull the positive out of it. Bullshit. This is, re- this is until we start demanding they win like we have the Braves. Listen, nobody's given the Braves once they blew that chance of a dynasty during the 90s. Uh, people have been on the Braves' ass for 20 years to win another one. They had so many chances to win them, and they only won one in the 90s, and, and the fans didn't forgive them that, and the fans have been riding the Braves for, for 20 years, not as hard as they would in other towns, but they've been riding them harder than the Falcons. It's time to start, and look what happened. The Braves finally won one this year. Thank God. Uh, the Falcons are still doing what Falcons do, and the Hawks are having a disappointing season so far, and of course it's because of the Made in China virus and there's the, the injuries and stuff like that, but it's a disappointing season after the high of last year in the playoffs. And uh, it's like in a typical Atlanta thing. You get your hopes up and it crashes and burns around you. Well, the Hawks still have a chance to turn it around. The Falcons don't. And until we start holding the Falcons' feet to the fire like we had the Braves all those years, they're not going to win. It's going to be the same old, same old. And the sad thing is you know Arthur Blank wants to win. But he keeps – and look, I'm I'm not – over Arthur Smith yet. I think he has a chance to be a really good coach. Look what he's taking with this team. He's got seven wins out of this team. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's a hell of a coaching job. So I still think there's hope for that guy. But they're never going to win anything with Matt Ryan. That's why they should have started afresh completely and started the rebuild last year instead of holding on for one or two more years with Ryan because it's not going to work. You could see it. I've been watching this franchise since I was eight years old, and I can see the trends. And this trend was from a mile out. I'm not always right about this. I'll admit that. But this, the Falcons, it's it was the same old Falcons right off the bat, and here we are again at the end of another wasted year, in my opinion. Okay, what else have we got here? Da, 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 da. Let's see. Uh, they lost a running backs coach. Desmond Kitchings has been hired as the offensive coordinator at Virginia. 
He will begin immediately. He's leaving. The 43-year-old uh, returned to college after just one year in the NFL. He played his ball at Furman. Uh, let's see. The Falcons will finish the season Sunday against New Orleans. The Saints still have a chance to get into the playoffs, so the Falcons have a chance to destroy the New Orleans fans and their hopes. <clears throat> they don't have much hopes to go far in the playoffs, but still. Uh, let's see. So they're going to basically have a committee to handle Kitching's responsibilities uh, for this uh, last game against the Saints, and they're going to find a permanent replacement in the offseason, let's hope. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay rallied in the Meadowlands to nip the Jets, but the big news was Buccaneers former receiver Antonio Brown nutting up during the game and quitting on his team. So if you had Antonio Brown lasting until 2022, then you win. Word has it he refused to enter the game twice when asked by head coach Bruce Arians, or told, so Arians told him to leave. And he did, first by ripping off his jersey and shoulder pads, then his undershirt, then as bare-chested as he was. He walked through the end zone while his team was still on the field, gesticulating to the New Jersey crowd. If that doesn't show you it's all about him, nothing will. His team is out on the field, and he's getting all the attention on him walking out. Uh, and then it gets weird. He uh, walked through the end zone. The shirtless Brown then tried to get Jersey State troopers, who still look like they're from the 1930s. That's just an amazing outfit they have on. Uh, they tried to get the troopers, he did, to take him to the airport. Uh, they refused. Two reasons. He was shirtless, and he didn't have his wallet on him. <laughs> Can you imagine them taking him to the Newark airport and just dropping him off, going, okay, have a good flight. <clears throat> That's what I would have probably done. Uh, so Antonio went into the locker room, he got dressed, and then allegedly called an Uber to the airport and then posted on Instagram a thank you note to, I don't know, the team. And then he posted a rap song. Amazingly, now here's where it gets weird. Take a sip here where you think about what he just did. So I go on social media to read the responses. And I literally was floored. 80% of the responses were defending him. Basically, bitching about the team. Uh, once again, another team that took a chance on him. In fact, this is twice for Tampa, mainly because Tom Brady likes him. Tom Brady let him in his home. Can you imagine this nutcase, imagine this nutcase in your house sleeping there overnight and you don't know what he's capable of doing? Because he's obviously, there's something wrong upstairs, whether it's football-related or whatever. But anyway, um, yeah. They were defending him and criticizing the team. And it was unbelievable. Now, some were citing CTE. And I understand if that's it, this is really sad and he really needs help. But I don't think there's anything they can do for it, you know, at this point. Uh, they don't really know all that much about it, especially how to cure it or anything like that. So if that's it, yeah, I feel sad for him. But others were just going on there saying that he's a great player and they should kiss his ass and it's a Tampa Bay father. This is a team that won a Super Bowl last year, pretty much didn't need him as much as he thought. And, and they're defending him and attacking the team. And like I said, it was 80% defending him. And that was, and it wasn't because of the CTE thing. It was just because there are sycophants out there, and these guys literally can get away with murder and rape, and there will be people who will defend them, these football players. 
But anyway, uh, let's see. Some brought up his possible CT, as I said. Uh, most said the Bucks were not playing him to screw him out of his contract money. He's got a lot of incentives in his contract. They mentioned on ESPN's Get Up this morning how ridiculous that is because he only had a few more passes and touchdowns to catch, and he had another game and a half to do it in. It was totally doable, and he was refusing to go back into the game. He was refusing to play. Ian Rappaport is reporting that he had an ankle injury and thought he was too hurt to keep playing. The Buccaneers and Bruce Arians disagreed and twice asked him to get out there, and twice he refused. So Arians said, well, then if you're not going to play, you don't belong here, leave the field. And he left. So now uh, Terry Bradshaw is in trouble again. He seems to do this every other week on Fox Sports. He said Brown should be put in a straight jacket and taken away to get help. That's not, that's kind of, he'll be apologizing for that, I'm sure. We'll have more on this in Pete's tweets coming up. Meanwhile, interim New York Giants head coach Joe Judge nutted up in an 11-minute-long diatribe, rationalizing why his team, which was supposed to compete for the playoffs, is dead last in their division. I wholly recommend that you look up this 11-minute uh match that he does his screaming match where he's yelling at the uh the media he basically is saying our at least our organization isn't a clown organization he's basically pointing at other teams say don't look at us look at them the the you know it's not us it's them type thing blaming other people and uh, they went off on him on espn today for that joe judge i had hopes for that guy when he came on i thought he was going to be a pretty good coach but you know I was wrong about that, too. That's two strikes. College football news. A pretty good bowl season. Great games. There's still a few more left, by the way. Great games abounded. Ohio State rebounding to take the Rose Bowl over Feisty, Utah. Utah had so many chances to win that game. It was such a shame. It was sad to see Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral go out with an injury in the Sugar Bowl. You can't beat a team like Baylor while missing your best player. Dave Aranda's too good of a coach. Uh, the standing ovation Corral got from the Superdome crowd when he came back on crutches after badly spraining his ankle. Emotional for him and everybody watching. NFL scouts say he's expected to completely recover. This will not affect his draft status. I wish it would so he dropped down to a good team. But uh, someone said the Steelers might look at him, something like that. I think he's a little small. I just think he, he's a little small and he, he puts his body in danger too much. And uh, he, hurt, he hurt the ankle twice bad this uh, year, and that's what knocked him out of his last game. It was kind of a shame. We'll have more about that in just a second, about the response to him playing that game and what went down. Uh, the hullabaloo concerning comments made by Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard criticizing today's college athletes who are opting out of bowl games. Uh, it's going to have a lot of that in Pete's tweets, but we'll talk about it here too. For now, I'm going to say that Herbstreit especially says dumb things all the time. We lambasted him a few shows ago for saying something dumb. And Desmond Howard always picking Michigan because it's his alma mater. He picked him over Georgia, by the way. I mean, it's every time. It's like Lou Holtz picking Notre Dame every time. I mean, Michigan could be playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Desmond Howard would be picking the Wolverines by 14. But I'm also tired of every time someone over 40 dares criticize anyone under 30 because you get the caterwauling and gnashing of teeth from the youngsters and the media about old men screaming, get off my lawn, or the Simpsons granddad yelling at the cloud, and especially lately, the OK Boomer BS. Now, I got news for you. Most of the time, boomers know what they're talking about. Maybe the people who've yet to accomplish anything real in life should pay attention. But that likely will not happen. You can't tell youth. Experience is always wasted on the youth, you know. They always say. And we were the same when we were 20, 25. We knew it all. We hadn't done anything in life, but 
we knew it all. And those people over 40 had no clue. And then you look back and think, oh, God, if I had listened. <laughs> if I had just listened. I, I got a friend of mine who was kind of a hell raiser, even more than I was. Uh, in fact, I learned a lot of my hell raising, uh, drinking ways from him. It, was, it just moved down from Iowa. And he, every time I talk to him on the phone now, he tells me about the times that my dad talked to him about stuff. And he says, I should have listened to your father. Your father had a head on his shoulders. You should have listened to him, and I really should have listened to him. Uh, Ray used to give me lectures all the time, and I just went, yeah, yeah, what do you know? And it turned out he knew everything. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. We should have paid more attention to Dad. Uh, speaking of which, during the Sugar Bowl, play-by-play man Joe Tessitore, and you know he's not one of my favorites, kind of smarmy, uh, defended Corral's decision to play as doing it the right way for his teammates and everybody else. Now, a lot of people didn't like that, including USA Today hack and college football hater Dan Woke-Wolken, who wrote he found Tessitore's comments objectionable, and ESPN had a bad day with it. Hmm. When you wake up and discover your comments are objectionable to the likes of Dan Wolken, you're probably on the right track. Uh, but I'm not taking sides here. These two guys at each other's throats is what I call a win-win. Even though for this one time, I think Tessator was correct. And what happened to all those critics of the Southeastern Conference when they began the bowl season one and five? Critics like Danny Cannell and Sam Acho, just, oh, they were all over. Look at that. Every time the, uh, the uh, SEC teams lost, they would rack it up. Oh, they're one and two. They're one and three. They're one and four. Look at that. Look, most times, a lot of players don't care about the bowl games. Once they get the practices in, they don't care. Uh, this year, especially with all the craziness and last year that's going on, the bowls and the people opting out and all that stuff, it hasn't mean as much. What it means is you get to party, reward the players and the fans, and you do the practices. But it's so cool to win. I, did I want Ole Miss to win the Sugar Bowl? Yeah. Once Corral was hurt, I'm thinking this is probably not going to happen, and it didn't. And, uh, by the way, Ole Miss uh, is losing Corral. Jerrion Ely is going to come out in the draft, and John Rice Plumley just announced he's transferring. He's entering the transfer portal, which I don't blame him. It's a shame because it looks like Ole Miss is going to lose two of their star baseball players now. But if I was Plumley and I thought I still wanted to play college football and it probably wouldn't be playing in the pros, I would want to go out two or three years playing quarterback at a you know another team, probably a smaller team uh, than an SEC team, and go out doing what I love, playing playing quarterback. And if I go in the NFL after that as a tight end or a ride receiver or something like that, fine. But I, if I was, I don't, I don't blame him for wanting to play quarterback if that's what he wants to do, wants to get out and do something. But anyway, the critics like Canell and Acho got really quiet when it turns out we have two SEC teams in the title game. As Alabama destroyed Cincy and Georgia waylaid Michigan, the law firm of Canell and Acho had a grand total of three tweets during those games. All I hear is crickets from the SEC haters today. And by the way, I didn't want to see this rematch. I didn't. And here's, here's the question. How is UGA a two-and-a-half-point favorite over a team that spanked them just a few weeks ago in Atlanta? How is anybody looking at those two teams thinking that Alabama's an underdog? I, I don't get it. I know Georgia looked very impressive over Michigan. Incredibly impressive. But didn't they just lose just a few weeks ago to Alabama in pretty much a home game? Hmm, I don't know. Now, it was two and a half points immediately after the playoff. I don't know what it is now. Uh, I wonder if she knows. Alexa, 
What's the point spread of the Alabama-Georgia game? At the moment, three-ranked Georgia football is favored by three points against one-ranked Alabama. The game kicks off... Alexa, stop. It's gone up from two and a half to three points. Would you take that bet? You think Georgia's, Georgia would have to win by over three? Hmm. I'd take that bet because I think. But you know what? Here's my, my brain is telling me Alabama's going to win this game by about 10, 14 points, kind of like I thought they'd do over Cincinnati and they'd beat them by more. But the gut is telling me that Georgia's going to get their act together and, and surprise everybody and beat, but not I guess not everybody since they're favored by Las Vegas and the sports books. So they must know something. The gut, my gut is telling me this is the year for Georgia. This Georgia's going to turn it around and actually finally beat Saban. But my brain is telling me there's no way in hell. So, I'm, which means I'm not going to put money on this game because I'm not an idiot and I like money too much. Meanwhile, Dabo Sweeney is losing another member of his Clemson coaching staff. Defensive line coach Todd Bates is going to follow Brent Venables to Oklahoma to be the Sooners' co-defensive coordinator. So he's kind of taking a step down. No, I'm sorry, move step up. Uh, Venables, Clemson's longtime D.C., left, uh, left last month for the Oklahoma head coaching job. And when you have coaches like Todd Bates leaving too, you can see to them the future is to go west, young man. Uh, like uh, Horace Greeley said, go west, young man. They're thinking the future's in Oklahoma, not at Clemson. Yeah, as long as ACC is down, uh, Clemson's always going to have a chance to do what they do every year. They, they won 11 games this year. It wasn't like a down year, was it? Yeah. On a fun note, Bart Simpson is alive and well. Someone got the landline phone number, and yeah, they still have those. Uh, got it of the Cotton Bowl press box and kept prank calling the press box, claiming they were Luke Fickle and complaining that uh, Saban can't stop us. And then they called up as Nick Saban complaining about Luke Fickle. So I, I, <laughs> that's pretty funny that someone's still doing that. Uh, observations from my couch, the one that stood out over this last week or so, sitting there watching the bowl games and everything, I kept seeing the Dick Sporting Goods. And they have a female CEO, and she going, I bet you didn't know that uh, you had uh, females running Dick's. And they showed the board or whatever. All the people in charge of making the decisions at Dick's Sporting Goods are females now. I didn't see a man anywhere near the place, okay? And she's going, I bet you didn't know that. And I'm thinking, gee, since you pulled all your guns out of Dick's Sporting Goods, I think we pretty much figured who was running the joint. So, no, it wasn't no great surprise there. On this day, January 3rd in 1971, the first NFC Championship was held in Kizar Stadium, San Francisco. The Cowboys beat the 49ers 17-10. to I've been to Kizar. That's where they used to play uh, before they built Candlestick, the 49ers. And it's a park, and it's in a neighborhood, and you walk into it, and it's like, it's like a bowl that's down in the park. It's like walking into a, a very – not Piedmont Park – but like Hurt Park or that uh, Woodford Park or something downtown. That's how small it is. And you walk in, it's this, it's this bowl that's like dug into the grass and the dirt. And it's real little. You can see where the stands were and everything, but it's so tiny. And you're thinking, they played NFC Championship games here. And it's just, it's really weird just because it just looks like a park that you walk into down into this little bowl. It's just very bizarre. Now, of course, that was a long time ago. They may have changed it since then. 1983, Dallas running back Tony Dorsett. The NFL record, a 99-yard rush in the Cowboys' win, uh, well, defeat 
at the Minnesota Vikings. Or, or I, I thought they won that game. Anyway, I can still remember Howard Cosell yelling when he did that 99-yard run. 1993, the comeback. Quarterback Frank Reich, not Jim Kelly, Reich, led the Bills back from a 32-point deficit to beat the Houston Oilers 41-38 to in overtime in a wild-card playoff game, the greatest comeback ever in NFL history. I remember watching that game. It was up in Buffalo, and they were down by 32. Uh, Warren Moon was playing, and I'm thinking Warren Moon, up 32. The Oilers are finally going to do this. They're finally going to push toward that Super Bowl. And what happened? Frank Wright comes in for Kelly, or started the game. I forget if he started or came in for Kelly, and led them to a 32-point comeback. Just imagine that. And they talk about up until the Falcons blew that 28-3 lead, that was what people talked about when you talked about blowing leads at the NFL. I mean, it wasn't a Super Bowl, but you blow a playoff game at home where you're 32? Well, actually, they won at home, but anyway. 2001, college football, third BCS national championship at Pro Player Stadium in Miami. Number one, Oklahoma beat number two, Florida State, 13-2. to <laughs> It was down at the Orange Bowl. Well, that's what they called it, the Orange Bowl. 13-2. Uh, to What a dreadful game that was. Uh, the next year, the fourth BCS championship at the Rose Bowl, uh, number one, Miami beat number two, Nebraska, 37-14. to uh, The next year, uh, the fifth BCS, the uh, Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe, Ohio State at number two beat number one Miami 31-24 at the Fiesta Bowl. And in 2007, high-profile Dolphins coach Nick Saban resigns and comes to Alabama. After saying he was not going to come to Alabama, this is the day he left Miami and went to Alabama. More on that in just a minute in Pete's tweets. Birthdays on January 3rd, uh, the 10th day of Christmas, 1906, Gus Sir, S-U-H-R, uh, first baseman, played in over a 1,000 uh, MLB games for the Pirates and Phillies, is the only player to be sued by a fan injured after struck by a foul ball. He was born in San Francisco, died in 2004. In 1910, Frenchie Bordigari was born. A utility player, played in the World Series of 41 with Brooklyn. Born in Coalinga, California. He died 22 years ago. Frenchie Bordigari. In 1912, Cliff Melton, a pitcher, all-star back in the 40s. The National League Saves leader in 37 for the New York Giants, born in Brevard, North Carolina. He died in 1986. In 1915, Sid Hudson was born. He was a pitcher, MLB All-Star in the 40s for the Senators and Red Sox, born in Coalfield, Tennessee. He died in 2008. 1923, Hank Stram was born. Pro Football Hall of Fame coach for the Chiefs, won the Super Bowl in 1970. Born in Chicago, died in 2005. Uh, and also on the same day, Bud Adams Jr., a team owner of the Houston Oilers and Tennessee Titans, born in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. He died nine years ago. 1932, Cuckoo Marlin, one of the great names ever, all a racer, uh, played in NASCAR, drove in NASCAR, born in Columbia, Tennessee, died in 2005. 1939, hockey great Bobby Hull, Hall of Fame left winger. Uh, won the Art Ross Trophy, the Hart Memorial Trophy, born in Point and Ontario. 1949, Gary Lavelle, all-star pitcher in the 70s and 80s for the Giants, uh, born in Scranton. 1962, Darren Dalton, pretty good catcher. Uh, Bain in the uh, Braves side, all-star back in the 90s, won a World Series in 97, a Silver Slugger Award for the Phillies, born in Arkansas City, Kansas. Or is it Arkansas City, Kansas? Uh, in 2017, Darren Dalton was a party guy, and unfortunately, he died young. 
but uh, he was a very good player. Uh, let's see, 1963, Jim Everett was born, quarterback, pro bowler in the 90s, played for the L.A. Rams and the Saints, born in Emporia, Kansas. He's the one that was called Chrissy Everett by a certain no-talent guy who's I, 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 I will never understand this guy going as far as he has and still having the jobs he had. I've never gotten Jim Rome. I've never understood that. He's like the lowest common denominator moron. It's just and I could tell you stories about him watching him do remotes, but I'm not going to. Uh, 1969, Michael Schumacher, German auto racer, uh, the world F1 champion a few times, born in Hearth, Germany. 1977, A.J. Burnett, all-star back in 2015, uh, won a World Series in 09, was American League strikeout leader in 08, threw a no-hitter in 01, born in North Little Rock, Arkansas, right over the river, uh, the Arkansas River. 1980, David Tyree. Wide receiver, wide receiver, one that had the helmet catch thrown by Eli Manning, uh, won the Super Bowl in 2007, born in Livingston, New Jersey. And amazingly, the man who threw him that pass, Eli Manning, was born the next year in 1981 on this day. Of course, he's got two MVPs of the Super Bowls, was a pro bowler for the New York Giants, should be a Hall of Famer, born in New Orleans. Eli and David Tyree, born on the same day. Unfortunately, we had a lot of people famous die on this day, January 3rd, which is interesting because there's an old wives' tale, or it's a young bachelor's story, uh, that if you're born on January 2nd, that's a very unlucky day to be born. But anyway, uh, dead people on this day, January 3rd, 1943, Bid McPhee, Baseball Hall of Fame second baseman for the Reds. He's the last second baseman to play without a glove. He died at age 83. In 1954, Gus Doray, College Football Hall of Fame quarterback for Notre Dame. He also coached Gonzaga and the Detroit Lions. Died of arteriosclerosis and anorexia. Anorexia at 62. 1969, Buzz Borries, College Football Hall of Fame halfback for Navy back in the 30s. Dies at age 57. 1988, Joey Chitwood, race car driver and daredevil. Uh, let's see, he had been born in 1912. 1991, Luke Appling. Uh, baseball Hall of Fame shortstop, seven-time All-Star, AL batting champion in the 30s, twice for the White Sox. Dies of abdominal aortic aneurysm at 83. He was a, a scout, and he worked in the Braves organization as a, a coach for years and years, a roving instructor. Hit that famous home run in the uh, old-timers game in the RFK Stadium, and uh, he was a character. January 3rd, 1999, we lost Jerry Quarry. Boxer, had bouts with Floyd Patterson, Jimmy Ellis, Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, and Ken Norton. Dies of chronic traumatic encephalopathy at 53. And, of course, that's CTE, all the blows he took to a head. Of course, it was Ali's comeback after he was allowed to box again after the Vietnam uh, era fiasco. And they fought at the old Atlanta Civics. I don't know what it was. I forget what the name of the building. It was right there by Georgia State. It's not there. It's the Municipal Auditorium, I believe. And uh, that's where they fought that fight. The whole world was watching. And uh, Dad and my uncle took me and my brother there to see Abdullah the Butcher and Mr. Wrestling 2 in a wrestling match once, the old Municipal Auditorium. And they started bringing foreign objects into the ring. Somebody cut Abdullah. He was bleeding all over his face. And he chased the guy out of the ring and all the way up the uh, ramp, which was right next to our seats. I have never seen my dad and uncle move faster in my entire life to get out of the way of that man. Uh, Abdullah was running up the steps with a chair over his head. 
And uh, basically, my father and uncle abandoned us <laughs> and ran. Because <laughs> they knew Abdullah wasn't going to hit kids, but he could hit the adults. Anyway, uh, he's still with us, I think. Uh, um, Abdullah is uh, in South Atlanta doing something. He was running a restaurant for a long time. In 2002, we lost Al Smith. He was an outfielder and third baseman, three-time All-Star for the Indians, dead at the age of 73. In 2003, Sid Gilman, pro and college Hall of Fame, end for Ohio State. He was coach at Cincinnati, the university. Uh, the L.A. Rams and Houston Oilers dies at the age of 91. He was a, an offensive genius, actually. 2004, Leon Wagner. Uh, baseball outfielder, all-star in the 60s for the L.A. Angels, dies at age 69. In 2012, Gene Bartow passed, college basketball Hall of Fame coach, led the U.S. national team in 74. He also coached at Memphis State, Illinois, UCLA, and I believe UAB, uh, dead of stomach cancer at age 81. And finally, January 3rd, 2015, Ali Sherman, NFL coach, also coached in the CFL, but he coached the New York Giants back in the 60s. He was the first coach I remember uh, with the New York Giants, dead at the age of 91. I think he had a quarterback by the name of Norm Sneed and a guy named Fran Tarkenton at once. Weddings on this day, January 3rd, 1939. Catcher Roy Campanella was 18 years old when he married Bernice Ray. 1986, British golfer Nick Faldo was just 28 when he married uh, his manager's secretary, Gil Bennett. Uh, it's female, Gil. I don't think they stayed married. 1987, tennis player champ Mats Vilanda was 22, uh, married model Sonia Mulholland in South Africa. Now, Mats Vilander was a very good-looking uh, Scandinavian guy. And let's see, Alexa, who is Mats Vilander married to? Here's something I found on the web. All right. According to Skidmore.edu, Skidmore. married to David D. Agostino since December 2000, she resides in Stanford. All right. So he's no longer married to Sonia. Sure. Alexa, stop. Uh, he's no longer married to the model, which doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Pete's tweets. Uh, baseball says, petition for Major League Baseball to put a skills challenge in during the All-Star Game festivities. I absolutely agree. Do-do-do-do-do sports. What, what is this? K-9, the dog is a better leader. For the, no, it's not it. By the way, Holy Crap is Sports T-shirts are now available. At uh, farmhouseprintingco.com, right here in Sonoya, farmhouseprintingco.com. You can get the Jack the Good Boy t-shirts, the Kimmer Show t-shirts, and now, holy crap, it's sports t-shirts. And I understand he's got two different versions for you. And the cool one, the HCIS one, looks like the script on the Starship Enterprise. It's really cool. Uh, let's see what else uh, what we got here. Anish Shroff of ESPN tweets, Clemson's win snaps the ACC's 13-game bowl losing streak. <laughs> uh, let's see. What? Okay. Paul Bird says, uh, seasons with at least 25 homers and 25 fielding runs saved as a center fielder. Andrew Jones has four of those. All right. The other 22,563 players in Major League history have two. Yeah, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Sports-wise, no, that's not sports. That's not it. That's not sports. Nope, that's not it either. Uh, Dennis Dodd, who writes for CBSSports.com or someplace, I forget who he writes for, says, this is about the Duke's Mayo Bowl. 
My God, we've reached the point where hyping a condiment being poured on an adult male passes for programming. When we have the discussion about bowl relevance, I'll start right here. Okay. To which people just went nuts on him. Why? In fact, uh, Shane Beamer, the coach of South Carolina who got the mayonnaise poured and also got hit by the thing. That's why you you don't have girls do that because they lost control of the bucket and it hit him in the head. Sorry, I don't mean to be sexist, but they obviously didn't have the strength to hold the bucket up. Uh, Shane Beamer says, how can you be so miserable? Uh, if you hate college football so much, why are you covering it? I mean, Dennis Dodd and Dan Walken are cut from the same cloth. They hate their jobs. Now, Dodd's actually better at his than Walken is, but still, how can you hate? How can you be against a silly little fun? It's a ball game. What does it matter if you pour mayonnaise on top of it? It's a ball. It's not like it's happened all the time. It's a, it's, it may be a one-off. It probably isn't, but it, this was funny to watch this for once. It was funny. We had a little fun during the holiday season. What kind of miserable human piece of shit do you have to be to bitch about that? But anyway, that's what else we got. Uh, Enos Cantor, or Freedom as he's called now, says, Shame, the NFL has a long history of penalizing players who speak up against injustice. It's no surprise the NFL decided to partner with China to capitalize on its billion-dollar sports market. At the exact moment, China's human rights abuses and genocide became viral news. Mm. Uh, let's see. Yeah, this is what Shane Beamer wrote on Twitter. What's it like being so miserable all the time for a sport you cover? Praying for you. <laughs> I still remember back in July at SEC Media Days when you said the ceiling for our team was two wins. Keep bringing that expert analysis. Happy New Year. Hashtag find some joy. I love, Shane Beamer's doing a hell of a job at South Carolina. I'm telling you. Uh how disliked is Hawaii head coach Todd Graham? Freshman defensive back Michael Graham has entered the transfer portal. It's his son. Uh, oh, also another thing I was watching, I think it was the Peach Bowl. Yeah, it was the Peach Bowl. And they had another piece of crap, Mark Jones calling the game. Mark Jones, who didn't get talked about or reprimanded at all for his anti-police rhetoric during the height of all that BS a year or two ago, basically said he was, um, uh, I'll tell the Saturday at my football game, I'll tell the police officer on duty to protect me that he can just take the day off. I'd rather not have the officer shoot me because he feared for his life because of my black skin or other dumbish. I'm not signing my own death certificate. That was one of the one of several things that he tweeted out that was anti-cop, Mark Jones did. He was calling the game that weekend. No one said a word. Imagine if it was a white play-by-play man saying he didn't want any black cops around him because he didn't want one of the black cops to shoot him because of his skin color. You think that guy would have been calling the game that weekend? So what's worse? I got him and Robert Griffin III lecturing me during the Peach Bowl about racism and it was like, am I watching the HBCU Peach Bowl here? Because the whole thing was them talking about what blacks have done for the Peach Bowl, which is a lot, and that's great. But this isn't the, the, the form to just lecture me about race the entire fucking game. I'm here to watch the game. You want to lecture me during the HBCU championship games and stuff like that? That's great. If you want to mention some of this stuff during Peach Bowl, that's great. But it went on and on and on. I'm sitting there thinking, why am I putting up with this? Click. And I quit watching the Peach Bowl. And I'm certainly not going to get lectured to by the likes of a Mark Jones. 
there was some other thing. Uh, let's see. He's uh, Mark Jones has argued for defunding the police. How's that going? How's that going? He's put several tweets out over the years saying we should defund the police, saying police have never saved or helped him, but they pulled guns on him. And he says, I can do without him, meaning the police. He says, police never saved me, never helped me, never protected me, never taken a bullet for me. They pulled guns on me. They never kept me safe in a protest, never stopped the racists from taking my Black Lives Matter flag off my house. I could do without him. Hashtag Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor, who was basically, well, we know what she was. You know, when you hang out with drug dealers who are, you know, shooting at cops, bad things are going to happen to you. <sighs> Unbelievable. This is the same guy, Mark Jones, who put who liked two tweets uh, when Nick Bosa tore his knee out, the 49ers defensive end. Bosa was a big Trump supporter, and basically Mark Jones uh, was laughing about him getting hurt on Twitter. ESPN does not comment on Mark Jones' social media presence. He's untouchable. Uh, meanwhile, during the game of the Mayo Bowl, Anish Roth and um, Mike Golick Jr. were having a bit of fun by dipping Oreos in mayonnaise, which no, I don't think, and uh, dipping peanut butter and jelly sandwiches into mayonnaise, which I think is probably too far too. And I'm someone who eats, I, I like peanut butter and mayonnaise. Uh, when I was a kid, I liked peanut butter and bananas. Now it just gives me heartburn. And I love, and I ate one just yesterday, peanut butter and, no, not peanut butter, mayonnaise and pineapple. You take a dull pineapple slice or two, you put it in a little mayonnaise between two pieces of bread, that's good stuff. But Dion Warwick, at some point, was not happy with the Oreos. I need both of these young men to take a paid leave and really think about what is going on here about the dipping Oreos and mayonnaise. It looked like Anish Shroff was going to barf right there on live television. It really did. So Fox College Football asked the question, what is the best post-game bath item in college football? Fries, Cheez-Its, mayo, or other? <laughs> I would want the Cheez-Its. Well, let's see what else we got. This gentleman proposed to his girlfriend while he was wearing a Trevor Bauer jersey and sent it to Trevor Bauer, who said, this is so cool, congrats, y'all. What kind of person puts a Trevor, who has been accused of sexually assaulting women, whether it's true or not, what makes you put that jersey on to propose to your girlfriend? That's, this is the type of person, Trevor Bauer could murder a kitten in the middle of the baseball diamond, and this guy would go, well, you know, the kitten started it. Oh, what else we got here? Da, 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 da. Uh, Brett McMurphy says, incredibly, this will mark the ninth time in the past 13 seasons Bama will play in the national title game under Nick Saban. Uh, after Georgia jumped out to that very early quick lead over Michigan, John Fricky of 929 The Game here in Atlanta pointed out all the people saying, hashtag fire Harbaugh. <laughs> I mean, it was within the first 10 minutes of the game starting. Uh, let's see what else we got here. The Surrender Cobras were out in in mass for the Michigan game, by the way. Uh, John says, hey, Dix, your women in sports empowerment commercials mean nothing until you publicly state your opposition to mentally ill men in lipstick dominating women's sports. <laughs> Stuart Mandel tweets, the state of college football in a nutshell. After tonight, teams from outside the Southeast are 3-12 and in college football playoff semis. They're just better at football down there. It is not a media creation. To which Daniel on Sports tweeted, you mean better at Alabama. 
But then again, okay, you're going to say that Clemson's not a Southern team. LSU's not a Southern team. Georgia's not a Southern team. Anyway, uh, what else we got here? I don't know what I just did there. I completely shot forward on these. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do here with these. Oh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Mackenzie Milton, the quarterback. Also, if you want the kids to play in the games, make them right after conference championship week. It's not the issue of them not wanting to play. It's sticking around another month or two when they can be preparing themselves for the biggest job interview of their lives. That's a good point, except for the fact you can't do it the week after the championship games because the bowl games would then lose even more of their meaning. The bowl games are something that, okay, we take a respite for a couple weeks and then we get to watch college football again, or you get to play college football again. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, both the Falcons and Washington football team were eliminated yesterday nfl cbs has this great stat the new york giants are the first team to finish a game with as few as minus 10 net passing yards since 1998 okay uh during a game i forgot which game it was somebody in the stands held up a flag of guam and the flag of guam has what looks like a marijuana a combination marijuana coconut tree on it is is that thing is that real uh, what else we got here? Da, 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 da. David Spade, the comedian, tweets out, Hey, you guys, Antonio Brown is in my driveway. What do I do? <laughs> uh, Gil Brandt, the former Cowboys executive. One more thing about Antonio Brown. While you're criticizing him and his awful behavior, don't forget he's had enablers at every point along the way. There have been a lot of souls sold. Great to say he's no longer a buck, but he never should have been a buck. Strong words. Of course, they're going to say it's the old man yelling at the, cr- the cloud. Fox Sports MLB has a great story. After selling the Iowa Cubs minor league team, owner Michael Gartner gave his employees $2,000 for every year they'd worked for the team. $600,000 in total for 23 full-time workers. That's an owner. That is an owner. Mario Cristobal, the new Hurricanes coach, put out a photo of uh, Hard Rock Stadium. says, let's turn this into the best home field advantage in college football. To which college football hype said, this will never be the best home field because it's not a home field. But then again, look at UCLA. UCLA, Brentwood is nowhere near Pasadena. It's a nice drive. It's literally, you know, I was thinking yesterday, I was watching a 49ers game, and they kept, showing, they kept showing video of San Francisco Bay and how pretty it was. And it is beautiful. It's the prettiest city in America without the people in it. Uh, and basically... You're seeing all these pretty visions of the Bay and Alcatraz and the Golden Gate. And I'm thinking, they don't play in San Francisco. They're 44 miles south of there in Santa Clara. That's literally like if you're an Atlantan and you're in downtown Atlanta, hey, I want to see a Falcons game. You drive halfway to Macon to go see it. That's how far away they are from San Francisco. So it should be the Santa Clara 49ers. Uh, John Walter says, oh, this is funny, and then ESPN lobbied hard for a college football playoff, which it would own, and based all of its college football promotions on who makes the Final Four. And now the very folks who built the mousetrap are complaining that mice will not take the cheese? Police. He's talking about Herb Street and Desmond Howard. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, Rob Dog, college football has been and always will be a Saturday game. Why in the hell do they play the national championship on a Monday night? People work for a living and Tuesday morning will be rough. Hashtag go dogs. Uh, Jason Whitlock, I have no harsh words for Antonio Brown. He needs help. 
Lots of help. Prayers. Uh, let's see. It's not it. That's not sports. Brooks Kepka, the golfer. Hot take. Antonio Brown will be fighting a Paul brother before the year is over. Jake Paul, whatever Paul he could find. Uh, no, 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 that's not it. Uh, so here's the current, according to ESPN, here's the current NFL draft order for 2022. Number one, the Jags. Number two, Lions. Then the Texans. The Jets at number four. Giants. Panthers at number six. Jets again at seventh. So the Jets had the fourth and seventh pick. The Giants again at eighth. So the Giants had the fifth and eighth pick. And then Washington at number nine, where the Falcons were last week. And then the Broncos at number 10. The Falcons not even in the top 10. Uh, Quadre Allison, the Falcons uh, running back. Also, a uh, public service announcement to announcers. My last name is not Allison. It's Allison. My mother thanks you. I, don't, I forget who it was calling the Falcons-Bills game yesterday, but he kept calling him Allison over and over and over again. Let's see. Uh, three-year Letterman says, if Antonio Brown thinks he's the first person to remove his shirt in the middle of work and quit in front of customers, he clearly doesn't know about my Uncle Gary's brief stint at Kmart in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a little bit about Antonio Brown and how we got here, according to ESPN. March of 2019, he was traded to the Raiders and cut before playing a game. September of that year, signs with Patriots, cut less than two weeks later after being accused of sexual assault. July of 2020, suspended eight games by the NFL for off-field issues. October of 2020, signed with the Buccaneers. On Sunday, removed equipment and left field during the third quarter. Let's see. House of Wax. Larry Wax. Regular guy. I'm kind of impressed by Antonio. Maybe he has the same beefs as a thousand other employees of the NFL who don't have a courage to flip them off. Work for Britney Spears. Hashtag hit me, baby. Uh, let's see. Fox Sports MLB. The teams with the longest active championship droughts. 73 years for Cleveland. 61 for the Rangers. 53 for the Brewers. 53 for the Padres. 45 for the Mariners, and 42 for the Pirates. Now, looking over this, the Rangers have never won a World Series. The Brewers have never won a World Series. The Padres have never won a World Series. Have they? No. Uh, the Mariners have never won a World Series. Except for his first season with the team in 2007, Nick Saban has been ranked number one in every season. He's been a head coach at Alabama, according to Fox College Football. The highest they were in the AP rankings in 2007 was 16th. They've been ranked at one point in the season number one every year since. Absolutely amazing. Uh, let's see. This date in uh, baseball history, 1920, January 3rd. The public becomes aware of the secret deal made December 26th to sell Babe Ruth to the Yankees for $125,000. That's equaling twice the amount ever paid previously for a player. Uh, Harry Frazee, the Red Sox's cash-strapped owner, secures a $300,000 loan. As part of the deal, so he could put on a play called or musical called No No Nanette on Broadway or something. 1943, January 3rd, in a surprising move, Uncle Sam decides to draft 37 year old Yankees right hander Red Ruffing into the Army, where he will be assigned to non combative duty, tossing baseballs, and leading the soldiers' physical fitness training. The future Hall of Famer lost four toes on his left foot in a mining accident in Colton, Illinois, as a 15 year old. So without four toes, I mean, there's the old joke, if you have flat feet, you can't be in the Army. He, he didn't have four toes, and they drafted him. 1973, January 3rd, Yankees minority owner John McMullen is part of a ownership 
led by George Steinbrenner, a group that buys the Yankees. Okay, here's part of that group: John DeLorean. Okay, but Steinbrenner is the majority of the minority owners. And McMullen says one of the famous quotes: "There is nothing in life quite so limited as being a limited partner of George Steinbrenner." <laughs> anyway, let's see if we're missing anything. I'll let you go on this first show of lovely 2022. I keep wanting to say 2020. A lot of people make a mistake of putting 2020 when it's 2022, but whatever. Oh, Dan Tannis is following me. Dan Tannis is a great restaurant. There was, I think it's still up around Lenox Square or something. I, if it's not, it's somewhere. Dan Tannis, we used to do shows there every once in a while. And it's been a big hub for um, sports media in town to go out and hang out there and everything and do shows. From Dan Tannis is following me now. It's very nice of them. I will follow them right back. Uh, I've had many a good meal there is all I'm going to say. Uh, John Rice Plumley has written a very nice letter thanking Ole Miss for baseball and football success he's had there. And good luck to him in the future, wherever he goes. Uh, let's see what else we have. Uh-oh, the Panthers have called a press conference today. I wonder if they're firing somebody. And uh, that seems to be most of it's going on out there right now. Nothing new on Antonio as far as I can tell. Let's check ESPN. And you know what? Part of me wants to lambaste him, and part of me thinks something's seriously wrong here. So we maybe should uh, look back on this and say, let, let's step back and see what happens here uh, before we start making passing judgment. I don't think he should get another chance. He probably will, but I don't think he's. Everyone's saying the ESPN guys are saying he's never going to play again in the NFL. Well, that's a bold statement from them because they always seem to defend the guys, but they're not this time. So. Anyway, that seems to be it. Everybody have a great day out there. Great start of the year. Happy New Year. Hotty toddy, even though we're not going to be as good next year. (laughs) And uh, drink up, Shriners.